I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. Let's talk about Nashville. Before we get into this week's film, next week we're going to be watching Serpico, a Sydney Lummet film. I've seen a few of his most famous films, The Network, 12 Angry Men, and Dog Day Afternoon. I was trying to think of what the third one was. <laughs> but I'm very excited for this experience. There's no reason that I picked this film. I just was scrolling through Letterboxd trying to find something and it kind of just hit me. Are you excited, Andrew? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, of course. I've never seen it either. And, uh, you know, Al Pacino, one of the greatest actors of all time. Great. <laughs> that will be a great time. But this week we watched the two-hour and 42-minute magnum opus, Nashville, which is, I'm not sure if ironic is the right word, coincidental perhaps, because the after-show podcast episode that I was editing this week and will come out the Sunday for us, but mm-hmm. I guess by the podcast time, like a couple of weeks back, Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the realm of, of podcasting I and mean, we were actually talked about that episode a lot because i had just seen the player right yeah and so we talked about that and how this is considered altman's magnum opus word and it's also another first for the podcast the first film or rather series of films that we've done by the same director that wasn't a trilogy really we haven't repeated any directors it's the first director we've repeated, other than in the case of like the Before Trilogy or the Tim Burton Batman films. Yeah, it's the first one, man. Robert Altman wouldn't have expected it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I, I I don't know. Like, this movie is very different than Secret Honor. Extremely uh, different. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of on another planet. Yeah, I mean, two movies couldn't be further apart from the same director. They're just fundamentally different circumstances. I mean, one is a... Richard Nixon monologue for an hour and a half and the other one it's this two hour and 40 minutes giant cast you know romping all over the place yeah Secret Honor it's a it's a room Secret (laughs) Honor is a room and Nashville is a city (laughs) it really is like literally and figuratively (laughs) was this shot in Nashville yes I kind of figured but I wasn't 100% like I didn't know yeah they were there certain there's so much to talk about with this movie. Yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about. 24 characters that all have like their own moments and their own progressions. I guess like, uh, uh, who's your favorite character, Austin? <laughs> That's more fun to talk about than... That's easy. It's the uh, Jeff Goldblum character. He's not in as much of it as I think he should be. He's that kind of just dips in and out. He but... also doesn't say any lines. He has zero lines. <laughs> no lines. He's still the best. Yeah, he's got like the big motorcycles tricycle more like it's like a easy motor rider tricycle. the easy rider looking ass thing yeah he's the least developed character but he's still really cool and great and interesting and it's <laughs> funny exactly and he, he does magic yes. tricks and stuff like that he sure yeah. does. i love the henry gibson character that character ties the movie together very well yeah <laughs> you know what i mean expand what do you mean like, talk more about why you think he's the the center of the film. Or Do you know who I'm talking about, thinking. right? Yeah. Yeah, the Haven Hamilton character at the yeah. beginning. <laughs> he, like, basically starts the movie out. 
I wouldn't say he's the center of the movie. I just really like his character because he's so distinct and he looks really funny and silly. He wears like the same suit like throughout the entire movie, which is like this big one piece like white suit. He's like a like a Nashville country music singer. And I think that the movie lets you know that like the Haven Hamilton character is like only like a Nashville guy, but he's not like a big star anywhere else. And that's like kind of like the thing about the movie too. The movie talks a lot about like celebrity and stuff like that a lot. It's one of those movies that like takes place in Nashville and it's about these like these characters like going around Nashville and stuff like that. But it's also like it's it's and it's honing in on this place. But really, it's like a movie about America and it's about a lot of different things, too. Like it kind of they kind of take the location and they do like so many different things with it with all these different characters but it's really just like about everything right it's about america yeah as silly as it sort of sounds it's the melting pot phenomenon that makes america such a weird place and is why one of my other favorite characters who actually has a whole lot of lines is the bbc reporter because she's yeah she's funny (laughs) she's hilarious right she's trying to shape the story around like what it's like to be in America in Nashville and how Nashville is this representation for America at large and and where the world is at and her just sort of absurdist perspective of everything and how she just kind of seems very everywhere perspective (laughs) very hackneyed when she's at like the like the, the bus garage and like the dump with all like the cars like the junkyard and she's like trying to like be like poetic about it it's like very hackneyed but it's very funny you know and I think like it, 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 it's perfect. It's pitch perfect, I think, too, though. It most certainly is. She's got her little recorder. She's walking around. Everyone's trying to figure out yeah. like, how she gets to places. Like, how the hell did you get here? I love how she's just able to sneak into like every situation. She just seems to always be there. And one thing that's funny about that character, too, is that like, I guess you don't really know for sure if she is a BBC reporter. There's nothing that really indicates that she is. <laughs> you think she might just be a crazy person? I mean, as far as we know, why not? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of crazy and wacky characters in this, and there's never yeah any proof. <laughs> he actually works with the BBC, and she doesn't have any official BBC like conversations or anything. Altman never provides like a shot or like um, a detail of her being like, "Look, this is my BBC yeah. like <laughs> press badge, badge or something or, like yeah. that." There's never <laughs> there's never anything like that. I guess I never thought of it that way. He also sleeps with one of the characters as well, like it one does. of the like uh, the uh, the David Carradine character. Mm-hmm. That she does like weird things like that, and she doesn't like pay attention to people too when they're talking. And that's a really funny kind of reporter character. And and you talking about you know she keeps like popping up and stuff like that. That's how the movie basically is, right? Like it's just kind of everybody sort of. I mean, that's kind of like the 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 Motley Crew aspect of it, right? Where you have all these characters, you're introduced to them like in the first hour sure <laughs> that's kind of the thing about this movie that might be hard for like younger people is that you kind of have to like pay attention during it yeah there's just there's so you much not be looking at your phone no there's so much going on simultaneously and all these stories are intertwining and complicated and everyone has their own motives and from the very beginning i mean those very first couple or even the the introduction right the whereas nashville and you have all the names and it's like the yelling <laughs> that's great it's like like a old school infomercial right yeah like they're like selling you the album or whatever 
And I think people might be put off with the Altman-esque, very Altman-esque signature thing where the talking over thing, right? Like that is very Altman-esque. And I think I I could see people being very put off with it because it's like, that's really challenging. I think that would be really challenging for people. I think some people would be really overwhelmed with that idea where, because when you watch a movie, I think a lot of people like to maybe watch movies with subtitles, you know? So like, I think people like to watch movies where it's just like one thing is going on at a time, right? Where like two or maybe a maybe a couple more people are talking and you know they go back and forth and stuff like that and obviously that's how a lot of movies are made and there's nothing wrong with that but like i can't imagine like what the obviously like i don't know you know what i mean like there are some scenes at nashville yeah. <laughs> where there it, it, it a single scene in a span of like i don't know 30 seconds there will be like two three four conversations going on at the same time and i feel like subtitles would detract from that right obviously there's i think maybe like a central conversation in most scenes that you're really supposed to pay attention to but like characters will go in and out of scenes and like there will already be like characters talking like in the foreground or in the background yeah it's absurd the amount of things that go on simultaneously and you say it's absurd but i don't think it's like unrealistic i think it's very realistic no it's absurd in the world of film but it's it feels very oh, yeah, much yeah, as yeah. if you're capturing an actual thing, right? An actual moment, because that's how conversations actually go, right? It's not just one person yeah. talks and another person talks. It's constantly people talking over each other. And I and you love our foreign films. I think if you're not a native English speaker, this would be a very challenging film to grasp, let alone fully sort of, I mean, even not even just native English speaker, but it's such no, yeah, an American film and, and so representative of what america was which is great that it takes place during the bicentennial right the 200 year mark that kind of we must be doing something right to last 200 years austin (laughs) i love that i love that song i love that (laughs) intro song yeah the music in the movie is amazing so much music it's really good it's so good a large variety of music too it's i mean it is country western mostly country western folk that sort of thing but but I mean, there is a pretty large range there. You get some nice gospel at the beginning, all the gospel music. Really love that. I love that juxtaposition of those opening scenes where he's trying to sing that song, right? And they're all on their yeah, own. The 200 individual, year song. Yeah, the 200 year song. And they're all on their own like individual recording booth. And he's like very serious and they keep doing it over and over again. That's the thing about this movie too that I really like is that like the 200 years song, the song is great, but the message behind it is not maybe ne- maybe not necessarily something that I would like go behind. You know what I mean? But obviously, that's what Altman is going for, right? And so you have like a song that feels really real, like it feels like a real, like fleshed out, like good kind of like exciting song, you know? Yeah. But it also has that kind of like cynical undercurrent, but it's not too cynical where it's like mean or it, the movie is like satirical, but it's not satirical makes it seem as if it's putting the adjective of it being a satirical movie feels like it maybe cheapens it to me sort of because it's not at all really yeah (laughs) i mean it's such a fascinating movie because i guess nothing really in it is in and of itself is necessarily satirical like the situations themselves are just i would say it's a satire it's kind of it's kind of making fun of like the nashville music thing i think it's a satirical film but i don't think any of the incidents within it are satirical i think the way people react to the incidents the reason i think it's satirical is because it feels very 
genuine, which is a very hard thing to get right because it's very easy to kind of up the ante, especially in a, a satirical film, quote unquote, right? To make everything to like the nth degree. And there's certainly some absurdist aspects, but it's all within this world of Nashville and it feels very real and authentic. Even the politician, Hal Philip something. Hal Philip Walker. Walker. <laughs> yeah, Hal Philip Walker. <laughs> His speeches that go on throughout. The politics aspect of it with like Hal Philip Walker uh, it kind of encircles everything a little bit, right? That's the first image you see, which is like the uh, the Hal Phil Walker van coming out of the garage <laughs> and stuff like that. And, you know, I think obviously there's some satirical thing going on there with like mid-70s politics with, you know, Richard Nixon and stuff like that. And so there's definitely like that satirical aspect there. And uh, apparently all the Hal Philip Walker stuff was written by this guy named Thomas Hal Phillips, who is like a Southern novelist or author or something like that. And he does all the voiceover he does like all like the Hal Philip Walker voiceover. You never see him. Yeah. <laughs> but he does all the voices and stuff. And I think he genuinely wrote all that stuff. Like that wasn't him like making fun of anything. I think he was genuinely like write campaign points of a president that you would want to be president. So like keeping lawyers out of like, so it's like completely like genuine. Like it's not like yeah. a guy, they didn't get like a comedy writer. Like they got a real like dude to be like, you write it and obviously and it's kind of funny but it's it's completely true <laughs> which i love like keeping what like keeping we need a new national anthem new national anthem lawyers shouldn't work in politics <laughs> i mean he had some good points taxing yeah. churches <laughs> and <laughs> there were some points it's like oh, okay <laughs> we'd say that <laughs> i just think his presence is kind of kind of always there like the vans going around and stuff and and of course like the big ending climax of the movie takes place at his rally of course and uh yeah and and, and his lackeys um the ned Beatty character who's like the reddest actor of all time and uh i love ned Beatty. whenever i say whenever i see him in a movie i'm so excited he looks great like him and uh the character played by he's in those woody allen movies michael murphy you know they're of course like they're trying to schmooze with all of like the musicians they come across because they want like their support and to play at this rally at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's sort of wild. And I guess it's making fun of a, a real thing, which is during this time, Jimmy Carter started running for president who would become president in 1976. And Jimmy Carter's big campaign was he worked with like a lot of professional musicians like John Denver and Southern guy too. Southern guy too. And his whole thing, was that he would partner or what have you with these musicians and then they would sell out shows and like Jimmy Carter would be at the shows and he would like do like a short campaign speech before, which is kind of what they're trying to do here, right? Is how Phil Walker is trying to convince these Nashville singers that they need <laughs> to partner with him. And of course, a lot of them aren't really interested in politics, but he's trying to convince them. And there's that great line early on why everyone should be interested in politics because it's fundamental to everything that we do, at least in Hal Phil Walker's opinion. Yeah. And they kind of, yeah, exactly. And, 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 and that is like a really big part of the movie, right? Politics. And it's, that's why the movie is like a magnum opus, you know, it's like the story of like the America in the 20th century, right? It's like the confluence, you know, the combination of like politics and, 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 and the entertainment industry and, and, and how it affects people's lives and, you know, tragedy, like how like like tragedies occurring and stuff like that, like assassination and 
I just love that because it's such like a daunt that to me is such a daunting thing to do, but it's done so well. It is an incredibly daunting thing to even picture making this film. Yeah, it's crazy. It it's it's a movie that feels like it's flying by the seat of its pants at all times. Like it feels like it's gonna fall apart. It genuinely does. I mean, it, there are just so few threads that hold this thing together, and yet the through few threads that do hold it together are so interwoven and complicated. And it's just like every second, like watching this film, it feels like it shouldn't work. I mean, through most of the film, you think that there's no way this movie can work. There's just so many characters there's so many locations there's just so much going on there's no real proper plot it doesn't go a b c d it's there's no real linear movement of this and yeah it works in every single sense of the way and <laughs> i'm just continually baffled by the whole thing because what Ullman is able to do and this is something that nora efron made a big deal of in the few films that she made was that every character needed a motive like every character no matter how big or how small they could be in one scene they cannot say a single line of dialogue but they need a reason to exist they need a reason to be doing what they're doing and in this altman film that's the case for all of our main characters all of our extras all of our background characters i mean every single person in this film they have a reason to do everything that they do and it's wild to watch these sort of big name actors to sort of act as background characters or extras and you'll just see them in the background kind of moving and yet it's very much within their character it's very much what their character would do even though they're not really doing a whole lot in that scene even though they're just kind of behind whatever actors talking or discussions being had i think too you got to credit um Altman didn't write the movie. It was written by Joan Tewksbury, who wrote other Altman movies and stuff like that. And uh, I think the structure, the overall structure, I rented like the Criterion Blu-ray and it's got like a good making of documentary on there. And Joan talks about how she like went to Nashville and she kind of had like a similar kind of like trip and trajectory, like kind of how the movie is a little bit. So I think like the structure which is very important to the movie is like very much comes from her. But I know that like when Alt Altman, like he gets a strip script and he likes it. But I think um, in, in this instance, like when he's, when he was started making the movie, like actually like filming it and stuff, he kind of tossed it aside a little bit. The structure and everything is still there. Cause of course you have to plan everything ahead, right? Like you have to be like, you have to, you know, get location. So I think that is still there and that's still really important. I'm sure like plenty of dialogue was intact, but then he gets like improv improvisational, right, with the actors. And of course, that's a really big part of the movie too. Like people like adding their own ideas and their own lines to things. There's like one scene where the married couple of the rock band of the trio, they're like arguing in the hotel room. They're freaking out because he is mad at his wife for cheating on him with the other guy in the band. The Keith Car uh Keith or David, I forget. Um, I think it's uh, it's Keith Carradine. It's Keith. And they have an argument. And then Michael Murphy shows up to talk to him about them performing and like they're like sitting down and stuff like that. And they're and he's talking to the guy and then the girl shows up and like it's clear in his performance that like he likes her, like he's into her and stuff like that. And uh, apparently that was something that Michael Murphy just had an idea of that he gave to Altman and Altman was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> like that was just completely improv improvisational, but it's such a good detail. Like it's so it, it's like the perfect detail that's never followed up on but it's so it's so it it, it really makes the movie that more vivid <laughs> yeah that 
the moment and so many of these moments absolutely wonderful and when I think of small moments from characters that don't really get a whole lot but you could argue our sort of R2D2 C3PO character someone who's sort of in the comedic background and really doesn't get what they deserve until the end which makes her one of my favorite characters oh is... yeah Albuquerque <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's amazing I mean all she wants she's to do awesome. is she wants to become a, a country singer and it's funny because everyone in this movie for some reason knows how to sing or I guess like if you live in Nashville you must know how to sing yeah like that's the thing like they're all that's musicians joke, and right? stuff like that right yeah <laughs> yeah they're all kind of like, yeah, they all want to be famous or they are famous. I very I like it too. Like even the people that are famous, they're at very degrees. They're at different levels of being famous where you have Barbara Jean, who's extremely famous, right? Like she is like a Dolly Parton, uh, Loretta Lynn-esque star. But then of course you have one, of course, like I said earlier, you get Haven Hamilton, who's like kind of famous. Like he's famous in the city. Maybe he wishes you were a little bit more famous, but even so he's famous like in his respective environment and then you know the 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 rock band the trio they're like kind of famous you know what i mean they're like kind of like one album yeah level yeah they have like one album that people really like it seems so i I like that i kind of like variedness of celebrity yeah and this is a film very much interested in what it means to be a celebrity what it means to be popular and i think by looking at these different celebrities and how they interact with the world because it's not just this idea of you know this is what a celebrity is and this is the celebrity experience it's able to divulge and and divert between these different types of celebrities and and the way they experience the world i mean the way the the trio experiences things is very different than how yeah say barbara jean experiences something or how (laughs) albuquerque is just really wants to sing right she just wants to be famous i would even say like the bottom even below that is the uh, suling gay character yeah that is a tragic that's story, a sad, story. <laughs> yeah it's so good that's like a whole other movie so almost except like i guess like i guess you wouldn't want to make a whole movie about like a like a singer that doesn't that isn't good at singing I can't sing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that story is so different from the others it feels Almost, I mean, as you kind of say, it almost feels like its own movie. It's so separate from the rest of it. And I think it's because it's probably the darkest of she's like all a of nobody. the stories in this. Yeah, because she's she's a nobody who wants to be famous like everyone in this movie. Even the most famous of people, right? Their dream is just to always be more famous. It's just this endless need for more fame, more popularity to constantly want it. And of course, you see with Barbara Dream. Barbara Jean, it drives her insane. I mean, she can't handle this uh, this idea of fame. And yet that's what everyone wants to be. Everyone wants to be Barbara Jean. And yet Barbara Jean hates being Barbara Jean. But she also gets jealous too. She's still she's still like um, vain a little bit, right? <laughs> she's still vain. She's still, I mean, she's furious when she can't go to the Opry. Grand old Opry Nashville singing thing. And yet it, she hates being on stage. Whenever she's on stage, she can't handle it. I mean, there's that great moment where she has her comeback, right? She comes to sing on like a boat or some shit. That is one of the greatest scenes of all time, dude. <laughs> that is like one of the most uncomfortable scenes ever created. That's a, that's <laughs> like maybe not as uncomfortable as the Suling Gay striptease scene. It's still like an incredible moment. But I think what makes that scene even more incredible is the Suling Gay strip scene is very physically uncomfortable because it's very clear at this point that she can't sing and she's forced to strip and of course the audience just feel awful for this person but that's very much 
dramatic, right? It's very easy to make that scene dramatic. It's a very dramatic scene. But the scene where Barbara Jean is standing in front of that stage, it's just as uncomfortable. I mean, it's just as awful. And yet you don't have nearly as much inbuilt drama, which I think makes it all the better in that moment. <laughs> that scene goes on forever, though, too. So she does it three so times. She like <laughs> they start and stop the song three times. Yeah, I do like the Susan Gay scene is great, too, though, because it is like a very like upsetting moment. Like it's probably like one of the most like upsetting moments in the movie. Um, so yeah, it is like a very dramatic, but it's not filmed too dramatically at all. It's like a two camera setup of her like walking around and taking off her clothes very um, unexcitedly and then she leaves. But yeah, like when uh, yeah, Barbara Dream like breaks down, it's like, yeah, it just like keeps going. It's like, oh, she's going to do the song and then she does it again and then she like has to and then she like does it again for the third time. You're just like, I can't believe that. Like, wow. It's such... And incredible. I won't say amazing because it's hard to watch and it's intense and you're watching this person sort of devolve in this moment as you see throughout the film. It, it's really a series of devolvements for most of our characters. I mean, most of our characters start sort of at this high point in their career. No one gets what they want. <laughs> Except for Albuquerque. Yeah, exactly. Which is why yeah, that, <laughs> that part is really funny. Yeah. And I guess the guy that shot that kills Barbara Jean. I guess he got I guess what he so. wanted. <laughs> I guess, you know, obviously, you know, not a good thing to get, but yeah, it's a, I guess he got what he wanted. I thought this was such a brilliant little line is early on in the film, the BBC quote unquote reporter talks or asks about why assassinations of presidents is so prevalent in American society. Cause that is a fundamentally American thing yeah. like for some reason. Americans love to kill their presidents more than any other country. Yeah. I don't know why. And I guess the BBC reporter doesn't know why either. But it's a great little nod to what's going to happen at the end of the film. I think it's great. And they talk about the, they bring up the Kennedys as well, too, right there. She interviews the wife <laughs> of my man, uh, Haven Hamilton, right? Yeah. Who's a great, she's a great character, too, even though, like, it's not like she's in the movie a lot, but she's great. And she has a speech about how like the Kennedy boys were different, you know, how much she's she liked them the and, and how like, you know, how insanely terrible it was when they were assassinated. Yeah. You know, I mean, Bobby Kennedy wasn't even president, but I mean, he probably could have easily been president. He probably you know, would have probably. Been. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's like it, 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 it. Yeah. She talks about how awful that is. And, and of course, like I love the end too when. When Barbara Jean gets shot, like Haven Hamilton's like, this isn't Dallas, this is Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that line too. It's like, <laughs> it's to me that, you know, obviously every US city is different, but they're also all like the same too, I guess, in that line. And that's a great line about, the end kind of reminded me of the end of the De Palma movie, Blowout a little bit, just a little bit. Oh, okay. I love Blowout. <laughs> Like kind of like the 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 big American flag like in the background and somebody getting assassinated and this chaotic thing and how everybody is kind of like resigned to the fact that it happened. Yeah, that ending is so wonderful and, and terrible and awful and just this euphoric feeling because you spent this whole film following all these different characters and it does that thing where right at this moment all these characters they all come together, they all come to this one big performance and and Albuquerque gets her big moment and everyone else really doesn't get their big moment. I mean, people get shot, people die. It's wonderful. It's just this 
perfect conglomeration. It's the only way I believe that this film could truly end. I mean, there's really no other way to capture all these different things that are going on except in this. And even our Hal Philip Walker, right? He has his big thing. So <laughs> it's, it's just so wonderful. I love, um, I really like Lily Tomlin in the movie. She's really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of this movie seeing people and being like, oh shit, I know this person from that. Like it's a very, ironically enough, celebrity, which I guess is purposeful, a celebrity heavy movie. It's a lot of big name actors. It literally has like cameo appearances by celebrities. Like Elliot Gould shows up as yeah. himself. <laughs> I love his his appearance is really funny. Julie Christie also shows up as herself, of course, too. But yeah, I like when Elliot Gould shows up and uh, what does he say? He's like, he's like, I'm promoting a movie, but I'm not making one. Yeah. I love that line. <laughs> he's he's so good. I I love Elliot Gould. He he. I think he's one of my favorite actors because I don't know. He's like he just like he has like a really weird look to him. I don't think he looks like anyone I've ever seen. Like, um, like I love the, like the shirt he was wearing in in the movie too. Like. I love when he shows up. He's really good in the uh, Altman movie, The Long Goodbye. That movie's really good. That one's more of like a noir. Okay. Ooh, I mean, I love a good noir. An Altman-esque noir. Altman-esque noir. Okay. That's definitely going on the list. Yeah, it's weird to see these actors and all these different people, and you're like, oh, I know this person, especially because they were very much of that time. Like, they're very famous actors in 1975, 74, 75, 76. And some of them, of course, are still incredibly famous, like your Jeff Goldblums and, and such. But I think the most surreal one for me was Shelley Duvall, because yeah, I've seen The Shining more times than I've seen almost any movie. So I have a very particular. <laughs> yeah. Well, the first movie she was ever in was an Altman movie, I think. Really? She's in a lot of Altman movies. In fact, I believe Duvall, obviously she was, uh, the Shining is a great movie, but she was traumatized, obviously, from that yes. production by Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> but yeah. I think in, in recent years, like, you know, probably not too long ago, Duvall has, like, repeatedly talked about her affection with, like, Robert Altman and how great of a guy he was. Like, I think, like, Robert Altman was a very well-liked guy. Like, he was, I, I think he was, like, really, really great to work with. That's wonderful. And Duvall's amazing <laughs> in this. I mean, she doesn't have a whole lot to do, but she's... She's funny and, and silly, and it's nice to see her in something where she isn't completely traumatized and ruined. She's funny. Yeah. She's, she's like really, she's a really funny actor. Yeah, this is, it's, I know I've seen her in something else before, but I've seen her in very little. For, all the movies I've seen her in are like Altman movies. Like she's like, yeah, in The Shining, but she's also in Brewster McLeod, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Nashville, of course. Um, She's in Three Women. She plays one of the women in three women the three which women is another Altman movie <laughs> so i mean like yeah she's in a lot of oh she's she plays olive oil in the popeye movie which is yes, the robert, Al Al robert altman also directed <laughs> yeah you know she's in quite a few altman movies yeah and the first movie she was ever in was uh um was brewster mcleod which is like a i've seen before it's kind of a very wacky altman film um it's pretty good good for shelley duvall i think her performance is lovely and her character is just uh a joyous one <laughs> she just doesn't care she's all about free love man she's just all about that love that part of the movie is very sad and kind of funny right where yeah Shelley Duvall like arrives in Nashville from LA LA Joan as her name is and like she meets up with her uncle and her uncle is trying to get her to see his her aunt his wife before she dies but she keeps getting distracted by men <laughs> 
like that's funny and then but then like but then he actually actually dies you know and she it, and 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 that that's like really like sad that's like a really sad moment in the movie that moment when he learns that his wife is dead yeah and i think it's the soldier that comes and talks yeah the to veteran him. guy yeah the navy veteran guy who's like a, who's just like kind of stalking um a barbara jean he definitely is. <laughs> I mean, he sneaks into her. Yeah, in a nice way, I guess. Room. Yeah, he sneaks. Yeah, yeah. He's not malicious, but he's definitely stalking. <laughs> the movie, the movie makes you think like he is gonna kill her. Yeah, which is great. Wonderful that he's not the one that kills her. I mean, I guess if you prefer no one kill her, but the whole movie you have this sort of suspicious feeling about him because for a long time you don't really hear anything from him. You just kind of see him in the background, sort of. Yeah, he's like he's he's off-putting. As opposed to the guy who actually kills her, who's really not. He's like kind of like yeah. a nice guy. Like he's come to- he seems totally normal. But then you realize, like, oh, I'm a fool. Like, of course he is like <laughs> You've been fooled. <laughs> yeah. That that reveal is great. That's just a good, solid reveal. Wonderful reveal. But that moment where the soldier's talking to the uncle and oh, what a perfect performance. You can just see it on his face. Because that's what happens in real life. I mean, you experience death and you just kind of have to go on with things, right? What's wonderful about it is it refuses to dramatize that moment. I mean, it'd be so easy to have this long scene. Because everyone's still like talking to each other. It's everyone's still talking. Yeah, because everyone's still like existing in the world. It's not like the movie stops. It's not like everything stops in its tracks for that moment. And that's what makes it so wonderful. I mean, what makes it so incredible because... When someone dies, when someone close to you passes away, it can feel as if the world has abandoned you. The world has turned off and yet everything keeps going. And in that moment, you see the world going on, right? You see this moment where the soldier is just so excited because he wants to see Barbara Jean. He loves Barbara Jean. He doesn't notice. He doesn't notice at all. He yeah. doesn't notice at all. It's a heart-rendering moment, but perfect. A perfect cinematic moment. Yeah, great. Yeah, really good stuff. And um, yeah, once again, one of those movies where it's kind of like a scattershot of a bunch of different stuff going on, just like tons of stuff. We could probably go on forever talking about it. And uh, that's another great thing about the movie, too, right? Like, because it's so dense, tons of rewatchability, kind of similar with the player, right? Like, you you could probably watch the movie once and then maybe like wait a year later and i'm sure there will be tons of stuff that like you have forgotten or didn't notice right that's another reason why the movie is so good is because like it just has so much rewatchability rather than just kind of like i don't know watching something that's not complex at all or not you know not detailed you know like nashville has so many details and it's so it just never stops you know that you could easily watch it again and feel differently about it probably yeah, it is so detail oriented that even during the movie, I knew that I was missing stuff. Or, right, it seems to me like there's stuff in there mm-hmm. that only makes sense on a second or third watch. Like there's hints or nods to things that happen later in the film that you don't see or you don't things realize. Happening in the background or in the foreground yeah. or off to the side, like like things happening like next to each other. I would strongly suggest anyone listening to watch this on the largest screen that you possibly can because Probably, you yeah. just need to it would be, be great to see in a theater. Yeah. I would love to see this in a theater because there is just so much going on. I and mean, imagine the sound design because I know the, the sound design, I can't remember who did it, but it was pretty complex. And so if you went to a yes. theater, you know, you'd have that really nice, like people talking in you know, the front left and you'd have people talking in like the back oh, right. Yeah, that would be really good. To have the, yeah. a full proper 
just even if you don't get the full visual experience, just have the proper audio experience for that would be fucking insane. Yeah, because like, yeah, everybody's like mic'd in the movie pretty much. Like that's how like serious like the sound like that's how serious like Altman was about like having like the people talking over each other. Right, everybody is like mic'd. You know, it's not like they just put the boom there and like everybody's like sat around it. I think like everybody was like appropriately mic'd to get that great effect when you watch the movie of people like talking over each other so incredible in all the senses but i I guess we should probably wrap up the conversation or as you said we'll probably just end up talking about it for like three hours and it is a bit of a yeah a scattershot of a conversation but so is the movie so i think it's really the only way to talk about the movie it doesn't really have like a beginning middle and end i guess like it kind of does like the first hour is like the introduction of the characters and it does have like a really big climactic ending where everybody comes together like you said but i mean scenes for the most part scenes don't really have like an end or beginning and and i would you know argue that the movie itself has very loose beginnings and endings like yeah all right well i'll give my final thoughts first on this piece of film (laughs) it's such a spectacular feat in cinema as a filmmaker, I just have so much respect for this film because it, it just seems so hard to make this movie. It seems so impossible for this movie to exist. And the fact that it does, at least from a, a technical standpoint, is endlessly fascinating. And as we've talked about so much in this conversation, it is so detail-oriented and there is just so much going on that it begs for a rewatch. And I almost struggle to even give this a rating on a first watch because it just feels like there's so much... I'm missing. I mean, this is a two hour and 40 minute film with 24 characters and a million different things happening, all of these different plots and weaving and, and just so many things going on simultaneously that it, it's hard to wrap my head around it. And I think that's one of the reasons that during this conversation, at least I've been jumping from one point to another to another is just, it's just hard to get a feel for everything that's happening and going on. And it's such an overwhelming experience. And as you mentioned early in the conversation, it can be a little bit off-putting for some. I think if you're not prepared for this experience, I think if you're not properly ready for this experience, it might be a little too intense. I mean, it is the type of film that you really do need to give 100% to. You need to give all of your attention and time to because it is such a magnificent experience, but so overwhelming at the same time. So... (laughs) Going off only my first watch, I'm going to give this a very strong eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I think it's like a perfect movie. Like, I think it's a ten out of ten perfect movie. Like, Natural is like it just kind of like feels like the American movie made by like the American director. You know, like I don't, I can't think of like another movie like it in which it kind of is able to kind of like do like a really great balance of like kind of showing kind of like the really highs and also the really low lows. And I just love kind of like movies like about like the entertainment industry and music and 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 also like about politics in a way that isn't too um I don't know preachy. It's not a very preachy movie, I don't think. And and yeah, like I'm sure there's plenty I didn't get out of it from the first watch, but I think in in in, in there's very few movies that you watch and you're like, I think it's kind of hard to like watch a movie to come across a movie and being like and have rewatchability. I think like movies and media nowadays are pretty disposable but 
I don't think Nashville is a very disposable movie. I think it could be easily <laughs> rewatched again and again, and it, and there's plenty more that you could appreciate from it. And I don't know. Like I said, it just kind of has like it's such a varied movie. It has like so much great stuff going on in it that like I don't know. It, it's funny, but it's not like it's funny, but like everything feels still like really real. Like nothing. It, it never feels like there's like any forced jokes or anything like that or or anything it just feels re- real and i love the allman-esque the way that characters talk and interact with each other i think it's very uh it feels really real and and it's it's perfect you know it's a, a guy making a movie it just feels like a guy that's completely the movie feels ramshackle like it feels like like i said earlier that it's going to fall apart and yet it's executed perfectly by like a master and that's hard to do you know i i think there are some movies that are like perfectly uh, or they're very meticulous like maybe something like barry linden it's very meticulous but nashville it's meticulous but in its own way that doesn't feel that way i guess you could to kind of it's kind of hard to explain but i don't know for me perfect movie 10 out of 10 i could not agree more All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. You can find everything I do at Austin Lugo one two. Yeah, I'm on Letterbox at Retro Andrew R E T R zero Andrew. And you can find this podcast wherever you hear podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Life Through Fiction or with nothing to say. And thank you all for listening. Thanks again.